Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and uh, I have with me, as always, my co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I am doing great, Parker. Uh, just another day of, uh, in paradise down here in Bay City, Texas. How about yourself? Uh, doing quite well. I'm up in location redacted in the Pacific, or mm. not the Pacific Northwest, the Atlantic Northeast, almost the exact opposite of that. And uh, it was rainy today, but it's been beautiful. Um, Grant, I, I feel like I'm burying the lead because tonight we have... Uh, one of the most exciting guests I think we've ever had on this podcast. Uh, Chris Vasser, you might know him as Coach Vass. Uh, 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 one, of the, one of the internet's foremost minds on uh, defense and all things football uh, is here with us tonight uh, to talk some defense, talk some four two five, and, and talk a little ball. So uh, Coach Vass, thanks so much for being here tonight. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me, man. When you, uh, you told me I was going to be on a TCU-related podcast, I, I mean, how could I say no? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I, that was my, that was my leverage point to, uh, to get you on here. No, um, uh, yeah, yeah, so like, we got a podcast. You want to come on? I'm like, Ooh, I don't think so. And you're like, it's TCU related. I'm like, when do you need me on there? All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally kidding. Um, I'm totally kidding. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, man. Um, why don't we use that as kind of a jumping point too, to just start out, um, people who do not know you, um, or do not know about you, uh, what do you do now? Uh, what's your kind of domain and and then maybe we could talk a little bit about what's your tcu connection so i have a uh policy on my podcast on both of them that i do that i i don't like stories and so i usually give coaches like 30 seconds to a minute now i don't know if i can explain everything in 30 seconds but i will try to give you the best synopsis of it i was a student assistant at the university of miami when i graduated in 2006 i wanted to get more involved in coaching so i went to san jose state um, Cole called about 40 schools. It was the best place that gave me an opportunity and basically stayed in the barrier till 2018 minus a little uh, adventure to uh, Jackson, Mississippi to coach at Millsaps College, which is where the TCU kind of tie in happens, which I'll get back to. I moved to the uh, went from the Silicon Valley to the Torture Valley. I don't know what the it has a name, but the Fresno Clovis area for two years. Um, and basically about August of 19, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and I started making a running list of things I could do because I'm from Orlando, Florida. I'm actually living in the house that I, I grew up in actually sitting exactly where I'm sitting right now is where I used to sit in the couch as a child watching cartoons and whatever. And the board behind me is where the television was. So life's kind of come full circle. I've kind of spoiled the story a little bit, but Basically, I made a list of things to do because I figured I'd have to come back and I'd have to take care of my mom. She ended up passing much quicker than anybody thought. And so uh, about, well, she passed on Christmas 19. So pretty quickly, I, I said, well, I got to do something because I didn't want to lose this house. And so I basically quit my job, um, packed all my stuff up, drove across the country without any real assurances of anything. I put together a business plan and I had to take over this house. It was just insane, just everything happening at once. So I announced a business on my birthday, March 5th, 2020. And then nine days later, the world shuts down. So I had to think fast and, you know, kind of redirect the business because a lot of it was like based on revenue from podcast sponsorships and one-on-one -on -one consulting. Well, everybody was stuck at home and talking for free, bored out of their mind. 
and then nobody knew if we we're gonna play football or not. So I had to kind of redirect half of my business model, which nobody was really doing. So I didn't really have anything to go off of. And I'm the least business person on the planet. It's real, real great, real great storm of things that happen. But, you know, I, I have a couple podcasts and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. And I started a Patreon and it, it took off from there. And I'm, I, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I mean, out of tragedy, if I could all go back and change it, I obviously would. But, it, you know, talking about it and really taking a step back, it was the coaching community on Twitter where we kind of met, so to speak, that really, if it wasn't for them, I'd be, I would have been screwed. I'm like, we did like fundraisers for my mom and there was a GoFundMe for funeral expenses. She had nothing really, like literally, I think five grand to her name. And so I owe everything to those guys. And I was like, you know what? I love coaches. Like I love coaching teams and had a lot of success and all that stuff. And, but I always loved working with the coaches the most. So I said, well, let me dedicate, I want to dedicate my life or at least try, like, let me take a crack at this. And if it's, you know, if everybody's like, you are trash, I don't want to talk to you. Then, you know, and I'll go back and always go back to teach. Um, but I wanted to, <clears throat> you know, take a shot at this and, and so here I am today. Now I will back up a little bit to talk about going to Millsaps College. Uh, so in 2010, I'm going to make sure I get this right. Maybe 2009, Tony Tatum, who's the linebackers coach at TCU, was presenting at the AFCA convention. I don't remember what city. And the graduate assistant there was Brandon Lechtenberg, who if you've heard my podcast has been on before, he's one of my closest friends. He was a GA at TCU from 08, 09, and then 10. The glory year. I mean, really, when they were at their height of not losing any games, <laughs> very few games. And he spent a year with the line, a year with the safeties, or a year with the line, a year with the backers, and a year with the DBs. I don't remember exactly. I believe it was the safeties, but I'm not 100% sure. So... At this time, I had finished my second or third year in coaching in high school in 2009. And I kept running into situations where I was running the old variation of the G defense. Uh, Washington State and Virginia Tech ran it. But from my mentor who coached at USC and was kind of involved with some of those guys. But I kept running into situations of problems I couldn't fix. The defense was too like. Well, if they're in two backs, it's this. If they're in one back, it's this, and that's it. And then I'm like, well, what if I want to do this? Or what if I want to build it? And there was kind of a fork in the road. I was, I did a lot of studying on the 425. It was either going to go TCU or Virginia Tech. And so I started messing with both. I go to this AFCA convention. I meet Brandon. We stay in touch. I sprinkle a little in uh, of the defense. I was an assistant in a junior college. We sprinkled in some of the concepts that I learned from him and studied. And then the following year, right after the Rose Bowl victory, we went, it was actually, the, I do remember this, the convention was in Fort Worth. And we ended up, it's funny, we ended up at a Hooters watching um, or having dinner because it was the closest thing to the hotel. And that's really the only reason we went. Oh, I mean, who among us? I swear. Also, and, at that point, downtown Fort Worth was god awful. It's gotten yeah. way better and I don't have a problem saying that. So no, I'm totally I understandable. I don't know if it was downtown. I mean, where we were was nice. I'll, I'll say that. But so we're sitting in there and I'm with Brandon and Adam Lechtenberg, who at the time, who's now the assistant head coach at Virginia Tech, but he was also working at TCU. 
they're in their TCU garb. We're watching replays. Like it just been not a week after the Rose Bowl, and that came up, and so it's on TV. And I'm like gathering all the waitresses. I'm like, these guys are famous. Look, they're on TV. You know, like trying to like be their wingman unsolicited. They're like, dude, shut up. Here, we're cool because they're like the Lackenberg <laughs> brothers are very understated. Anyway, fast forward to a month later, he calls me and says, hey, you want to coach D-line here at Millsaps? And I laughed at him. I'm like, I don't know much about D-line play at the time. I was young and just trying to learn my position. And um, so then in July, he called me and said, hey, we have a corners opening, uh, corners job opening. Come out. So I took my 24 hours, thought about it, hopped in the car. Six days later, I was in Jackson, Mississippi. Well, that's where I learned the defense. And Brandon you know, just by himself, take the whole TC equation out of it. He's got an amazing football mind, fantastic, and, and a great guy. So, you know, the TCU guys are pretty secretive. Nobody really leaves the staff, minus when Chad Glasgow went to Tech for a little bit. Uh, Coach Patterson does a really good job of retaining assistance. And, and when they do leave, the few times, like, they do take other opportunities, they don't talk. It's just so – you can't really learn information about the defense. That's why it's been they've done a great job of keeping it under wraps. So I'm like, well, if I don't learn this stuff, I got to go work for the guy. So here I am. I'm living in the Bay Area, my favorite place in the country. Lucky when I was a kid, my dad worked for Delta. So even though we didn't have any money, we get to fly free everywhere. Uh, and I love San Francisco. And here I am living 30 minutes south of it in heaven. Well, I go to Jackson and it was... I was going to say a culture shock, but I think it was a shock on a lot of different levels. But I got my crash course, and I learned the defense inside and out. Like, I remember I, the second week I was there, you know, Brandon handed me uh, the wristbands they used, a, a, a thumbnail drive, and it had been passed down from, like, GA to GA to GA, like, because they're very particular about how they do things. Yeah. Like, every football team. Can I – so can I can I jump off of the, the wristbands? Um, yeah. Oh God. Yes. You said, you said earlier something that was really interesting when you were talking about like high school coaching or, or, or coaching in general and saying like, Hey, what kind of defense am I using? I want to do this. I want to do this. And, and it seemed like the word that you didn't say was multiplicity. And so you're going in to learn this defense. Um, and they have all these crazy wristbands, someone who's not familiar. What, what are the wristbands? Why are they so important? Why, why would, why does the four, two, five so secretive? What, 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 like, that might seem kind of weird to someone who, who doesn't understand, hey, why do they have all these secrecy around a defense? And I'm sorry, because I'm used to talking. I, I mostly do coaching specific podcasts. Yeah, so no, 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 this is, this is low level. You're all good. Time. No, no, it, you know, stop me at any time if I'm saying anything like, yo, people aren't going to know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> but here's what makes Gary Patterson and TCU special. It has nothing to do with the 425. It has nothing to do with the coverages that they run. Now, People may take issue with that, but let me make my point and then it'll make sense. It'll make sense. But um, it, it's the language structure. You know, as time's gone on, you know, when I first started the, learning this defense, Gary was, they were in a four, two, five, and they had some other fronts, but they were in there a three and a one over front playing Robert coverage, playing quarters coverage, but you watch them now. They're playing a lot of odd fronts. They're playing a lot of three deep. Now he won't call it three deep he despises three deep like I do. So what guys like him and I do is we come up with like kooky names for stuff. That's three deep coverage. It really is. It's there. There's no other way around it. And so um, it's not that, that they run a four, two, five, what makes them special or what makes them unique or what 
and you can even take off the judgment values of it. What makes them flexible? I mean, that's kind of a neutral word, right? Because you can't question if something's flexible or not right? as much as, well, good or bad. So I'll try to stay away from value judgments on things. But what makes them flexible is, so the front six, the four down linemen and the two linebackers are separated from the back five. And I'm not telling any secrets, but when he calls defense, I don't know who does it now, but he's telling, it used to be Bumpus, Dick Bumpus. And he'd say, bump. Now, it depended on the call. If he wanted to say, hey, we're about to rush the passer and play zone coverage, he'd say, give me your best stunt. Because, you know, Bumpus, that's where all he did all week was focus on that stuff. I mean, Gary, Gary looked at it too, but, I mean, that's Bump's area of expertise. And then, or he'd tell them, hey, I want smokes four, or bullets five, or whatever on their man, right? And that's where the wristband comes in. What makes it special is, well, so, so that, let me back up. So that's step one is the front six and five are separated. Then he separates the, the back seven from each side. So they're independent of each other. Now, there are certain calls, Tampa two, cover three, where it has to go together. So he knows that. So like, you can't play Tampa two to one side and cover three to the other. It'd be just giant holes. So he knows that in his brain, they call them full field concepts where it's like, all right, this is all going to go together. But primarily, they split down the middle. So there's flexibility. Then the real key to the whole thing is the language system. What Coach Patterson believes, which is very different, I believe the same thing, which is very different from most coaches. In 2021, well, you really go back to like 2013, even Saban, who had these long calls, shortened them. The invoke thing right now is to have these one-word calls that represents the whole defense. Here's the problem. You got to memorize it now. And then furthermore, the more exotic stuff that would be longer, quote unquote, on the wristband would be on third down. Well, if you and third long. Well, if you just got your ass kicked, you may have to bleep that. I'm sorry. What can I can I say? Eh? Yeah. 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 OK. It's in the Bible. It's OK. <laughs> yeah, that's the rule. Um, uh, but if you get your ass kicked on first and second down, you're not going to get too crazy on third down. You're not going to go fast. What I mean by tempo wise, like you're not going to run up to the line after you just got your ass kicked the first two downs. Those are the word your calls are. What Gary believes is we're going to tell every single person what to do in every play. Now, downside is it takes longer to get the calls in. That's why if you see them a lot, I won't say a lot, but some of the time they're kind of looking towards the sideline because he's waiting. Actually, I had an epiphany when I went and watched him call defense, which is he would wait to see the offensive formation line up. Well, here's the thing. If you're going fast, you're not motioning a lot. Mm-hmm. So, instead of making this is what the call I'm going to do for this formation and this is what the call I'm going to do for that formation, he just waits till they get lined up. Now, the benefit that I had, and I stood behind him in the spring of 16, and I just was like, oh, my God, this cut's done on all of our check periods and all this stuff we got to do. Now, the benefit that I have that he doesn't is he's got to do it in front of 70,000 people or whatever. Mm. I Even on our most crowded nights playing Dale's High School, the one going to get close to that. And I got a, I, think I have a lot of voice than he does. I mean, that's, I mean, it's not even close. Um, but so that's one of the things. So if I'm the tackle, if I'm the defensive tackle, um, you could bring slant blitz from every which way you don't care. I'll use a word that everybody knows in the coaching community has been really Chad Glasgow did a thing for Tony Franklin in 2011, which kind of, did a huge got got the information on it's called tank tank tells 
the three defensive linemen to the call, you're going to slant to the call. So if they make a left call, they're going to slant left. So if you're going to bring a backside safety or linebacker, you could bring the safety off the edge. You could bring the backer off the edge. You could bring the end up field and then bring the safety underneath. You could bring the backer underneath. Um, you could take the end and stick him two gaps, like slant him hard down inside. Whatever combination. And then we haven't even gotten to coverage. If you're in a one-word system, you got to name all those things, right? Now, if I'm the tackle, if I'm the, what they call a three technique, outside shoulder of the guard, I'm the strong side defensive tackle, I don't care about any of that. All I know is I hear left. I don't even need to know the – I mean, there's a few fronts where they need to line it differently, but most of them it's left or right. So the linebacker says left, left, left. I look at my wristband. They're even color-coded. Well, they used to be. I don't know if they are anymore. I look for my color. I mean, we wouldn't teach it like this. We'd have them read the whole call. Right. But they're in tune to the words that matter to them. And so all they do, it's kind of one of those things that, like, because they only have a few words to learn, they can ignore all the other crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, tight tank, take B slant, lightning, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they just go tight tank. All right, left. I hear left. I'm slanting left. And that's all they need to know. And so you're yeah. able, and a lot of people make the mistake of, well, you don't need to do all that stuff. You don't need to do all this stuff. It's not about doing a lot of things. It's about looking at an offense. Most defenses, what makes Patterson so special is most defenses will have an inventory on a board of stuff they'll do unless they're Saban and they'll just make stuff up and just do it anyway because they got the best and smartest Mm -hmm. and the best support staff and the most people and all that stuff. But normal human defenses, you have an inventory up there and you may tweak one or two things for a special opponent. And then what you do is you say, this team does this what do we have on our inventory list that will best defend this, right? But there's, there's trade-offs. What Patterson is able to do is he's able to take it from scratch every week. Not, to, I mean, he's got a basic, they're going to be mostly four down. They're mostly going to be split safety coverages, meaning quarters, covered two, palm, whatever you want to call it, two high safeties. Because if they're not, then it's easy. Just remember, like I said, it's everything works together. And he goes, this is what they do. Let's create a plan to stop it. And so I've, I've game planned with teams and I'll come up with these crazy ass calls. But if you practice it from day one, the kids are used to it. Like people come to my practices and they walk out going, I could never do that. Well, we practice chaos and so do they. You don't have a clean environment when you go out to game day and then it all hell. And you have to practice like that. And so I installed this defense for somebody who was, who was really questioning it i said give me one of your old calls draw it up for me so we did like the first day install which was like 12 hours and he drew up the call and i and then we got through the different days and he drew up the call and i said oh this is boom 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 like six words and then above it i took a different colored pen and i wrote what day they install it and gotcha. he was, oh my god so it's not that you can do a million things it's that you can really drill down what a team does without any new learning Right. It does. No, it makes a ton of sense. And coach, that's kind of what I wanted to ask next, which is, okay, I understand Gary wants to control. He wants to, you know, be able to say, okay, Hey, here's what we're going to run on any given play. And I'll tell you what we're going to run on every given play to every player on his team. But in a general sense, if he's looking at an offense saying, okay, Hey, this is what they do. Well, we're going to stop it. When an offense looks at TCU and they, or any team that runs the four, two, five, what is it that they say, this is what the 425 does well. What is the 425 designed to stop? 
And on the flip side, what will it allow in a general sense? I don't think that you can look at an overall scheme and answer that question. I don't think that there's anything in Fair. the five that inherently is open or bad. I think if you look at specific coverages, like there's no defense that Gary Patterson has. Like there's nothing about the four two five in general that is good or bad. All it means is personnel. And and really the four two five means different things to different people. If you talk to Alabama, they'll tell you we're oh we're nickel, we're four two five personnel. But their nickel is a corner. Their nickel was Minka Fitzpatrick, who obviously moved to safety in the NFL, but he played a lot of corner when he was younger. If you look at LSU, here's an interesting comparison. LSU in 18, their nickel, they called him a quarter, was a bigger safety hybrid. Then they had that Vincent kid 19, and he's a corner. He's a true slot corner. Now, they changed the name from quarter to nickel, but if you talk to Dave Miranda, he'd say that's three, three, five personnel. And that the only difference between the two is that his stand-up end into the boundary, he's calling a linebacker instead of an end. It's semantics. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Every defense I know has four, two, five in their defense, and they all have strengths and weaknesses based on. Let me back up for a second. So, so let me go back to Alabama. Alabama is not as good at coming off the edge because their nickel corner is a corner or their nickel slot, rather, where TCU, that guy's like, if you go back to Colin Jones, that guy could blitz. And, and sometimes I ask, like, I'm, I'm close with Paul Gonzalez, and I would say, how come this year you blitzed a lot? And I would think there'd be some, like, scheme answer, and it was, well, he, this guy was a better blitzer. I'm like, oh, makes sense. <laughs> Occam's razor, right? But I don't think there's anything structurally inherent, inherently structurally wrong with, with, with the 425. Now, I will say, the RPOs and stuff, basically Gary is a victim of his own success. His style of defense has got so good that people started developing RPOs to beat those type of defenses. Yeah, and what yeah. I will give Gary credit for, which a lot of people don't do, is he said, we got to change. That 2014 Baylor game, which I know is painful to talk about, is an inflection point, and you could see it. And now I've got a trained eye for it to see it. It's subtle. But he made a lot of changes going into 15 that I saw. Playing more man coverage, playing more uh, one high coverages, sitting on those RPOs, doing that sort of thing. And, and took care of the major deficiencies that were in his defense. But I don't think the structure of a defense, because if you get big on him, he's going to get big on you. Yeah. And a lot of people, and here's one thing I want to say, because when I brought the 425, when I brought it in 2012 to St. Francis High School, it was a run league. It was wing T, I form, all heavy run. And everybody says, you can't in the 425. Well, our, our, our two edge guys are outside backers or our safeties. We used to call it the 4-4. But we played with the same personnel. It's just literally what we called them. If you tell people you're a 4-4 coach, you're old and antiquated. If you tell people you're a 4-2-5 coach, you're a genius. It's kind of like when I used, to, I used to play in a band. In fact, if you ever listen to my podcast, all of the music except for the new commercial music, this latest one is all my, like, when I was 19 years old, I'm playing drums and all that stuff. When we booked awesome. gigs in Orlando, we said we were from Miami. When we booked uh, gigs in Miami, we said we were from Orlando. That's kind of the 425. If you tell people you're a 44 guy, that's, I don't know. We don't, you know, but if you, if you run the 425 and you have a briefcase, you're a genius. That's um, really funny. Okay, wait, can I, can I, can I dive into RPOs for a second? Because that's something, I mean, shoot, TCU 
can't beat Lincoln Riley. Um, right. And, and that's, uh, you know, quarterback health and development issues and, all, and a lot of other stuff outside of the defense, but Lincoln Riley's defenses have, have their yeah, offenses are kind of a, a good proxy for like, Hey, this is how modern football is happening. And, and Lincoln's a super creative guy, but uh, I think it's it, it just at a, at a more base kind of level, why does an RPO present a problem to Gary Patterson's brand of the four, two, five? Um, his why old, is that his old brand right his now? Old brand, yes, yeah, okay. his old brand, yeah. Here's what happened, and I'm going to try to explain this without visuals to a group that doesn't talk about football all the time. So we may need to do, I may need a couple of runs at this. <laughs> so in the four-two-five, they play quarters coverage, which is everybody thinks like, oh, you zone a fourth of the field. It's really it's man-to-man unless, and then you do combos with different people. So the great thing about quarters coverage until I'll say, let's say 2014, let's just use that date. And I'm not trying to rub salt in the wheat. Again, I am a TCU fan. I went to Miami. I worked for their football team. I'll always be a cane, but I'm, I'm a TCU fan. In fact, since I started running this defense, don't tell my alumni buddies, but I've watched more TCU. Like I have on my huddle, I have almost every TCU game since like 2007, 2006, five. I like, I watched the, the Texas tech 06 game where he held leech to three points like a week ago. I'm a big fan. Um, but the thing that used to be great about quarters coverage versus like cover three or other coverages was certain people were reading other people. And what that did was it helped you on play action. It was, you know, if it's run, you do this, if it's pass, you do this. And it, 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 you could fool the defense less. Right. Um, and it was it were like 50, 50 players, like run, you do this pass, you do this, right? Well, what happens when they do both? So if you watch Gary's defense pre 2013, 2012, go back or further, their strong safety is always outside of two when they're playing quarters coverage. And the three safety is apex. meaning he is splitting between number two, the slot receiver and the, the fat ass on the edge, the end man line of scrimmage. Hey, man, you said I could say ass. I'm going to roll with it. Um, and it was, if it's run, you do this. If it's pass, you do this. The, the problem was is now they're running the ball and throwing passes. So now you have two people doing 50-50, and really you're doing nothing. Like, right. go, and you don't believe me, go to the high school kid. Okay, if they do this, you do this. If they do that, you do that. Now that works if I'm talking to a coach, but you have to teach differently or else they won't do any of it. Yeah. So he right. switched his coverages up and he moved in strong safety inside and said, okay, you are a primary, you are 75 to eight. You know, I'm just giving you random numbers. He didn't actually say this, but you're 75% run deep safety. You're going to move closer to number two and deeper. You're 75% pass. So it was more of a division of labor. Because you can't be 50-50 if they're 50-50. 50-50 is great if you know they're running the ball. Right. Because you can right. have pets. Well, but now the odds are against you, and you have to change. So that was really the big thing that they did. But then what happened was is some communists started throwing the ball down the field. <laughs> now you have to layer your defense differently. Because before you could play, and this is where I think they struggled a little bit, in my opinion, Everybody that ran this, I don't want to specific, but everybody, including myself, I'm raising my hand. I forget this is an audio format. I'm raising my hand like an idiot, (laughs) knowing that you can't see me. Um, But where 
the issue then became is you used to be able to play your defense like triple option, meaning you could layer your defense inside out because you'd have the zone, you know, the dive, the keep, the pitch, just like the zone to the back, quarterback keep, and then the bubble would be the pitch. And this is what drives me, coach, uh, drives me crazy about defensive coaches as they say, well, you just defend RPO like triple option. Really? You can, I can pitch the ball 10 yards down the field. Now it doesn't work like that. You <laughs> have to treat it differently. Yeah. And that was the major issue is they, you're reading them. Well, they read you. And so, yeah. I, and I hate bringing this up because I'm not trying, again, I want to state this. I am a TCU fan. I'm not saying this to rub salt in the wound. No, we've said it a thousand times. But I, you watch that it. Baylor game and they, the whole fourth quarter, funny story, TCU's up by like 30 points. There was a little uh, Vietnamese uh, convenience store slash eatery about a half mile from my house. I'm like, this game's over. I walk over, get some fried rice. I needed a couple things. I, I didn't even I didn't even stay and eat. I grabbed the food to bring it home to finish watching the game, and all of a sudden, Baylor's within like three points. And I'm like, what, wait, what? I wouldn't it's, gone for more than 20 minutes. It's the only time I've ever gotten to an actual like yelling fight with my dad because we were both just mad that TCU lost. But but, but okay, so you mentioned RPOs as as one aspect that the 425 has had to adjust and that all defenses have had to adjust right. to. There's one other play that I, I'm dying to ask you about, and it involves running backs, and it involves, I think, kind of putting defenders in uncomfortable positions, but that's the wheel route. And we've seen a lot of Big 12 running backs that have excelled in the passing game, Texas in particular, especially with Sarkeesian, I'm worried about from a TCU perspective. So, it, you know, does the way TCU call its defense, run its defense, make itself extra vulnerable to the wheel? I don't think so. I, I, think, okay. they do a, I think they do a pretty good job of – mitigating those issues in fact some of the ways that i've learned to mitigate some like uh okay here's a little inside insider info on them there's a play where let's say let's say split backs gun split backs two receivers to the field one receiver to the boundary fake the stretch in the boundary the x runs a post the lead halfback runs the wheel they call that cyclone so this is one thing that gary does that it drives it, it from a memorization point, it drives you crazy. So like what he'll do is he'll use a name for something. For example, they call dig seam flat Lobo. When's the last time they played New Mexico? They call the front where you set the three technique away from the back wildcat. Why? Because in 2004, they played Northwestern and they said, Hey, we want to set the front opposite. Cause they usually set it to the back called set. Well, let's set it away. We'll call it Wildcat. We never changed it. So it makes no sense. They're 22 personnel package. When they see two backs and two tights, they still call it Bulldog when they played Fresno State. You guys know more than I do. When's the last time they played Fresno State? So they call that rat Cyclone, which to me, when I say, oh, that's a Cyclone rat, people are like, what? I'm like, uh, I, it's this. But anyway, they, they switch some of their coverages to deal with that. And some of the three deep stuff that they they did, they have to teach. And I won't get into the weeds, but they have to teach their linebackers differently. And it actually helps on some of that stuff, or it mitigates the issues. And I've used those same things, so I don't really. I mean, why I, I haven't noticed it? Have they had? Have they struggled against wheels? Yes. Yeah, so, so it's kind of out? a meme. It's kind of a meme around TCU uh, fandom that there's always like a wheel route that just kills you, like a running back just catches the ball. 
uh, out of the backfield. And we might all not have the, the, the trained eye per se, and it might be, it might be a flatter. It might just be a running back check down, but um, it does seem like more often than not uh, someone like Bijan Robinson finds himself in space with the ball out of the, out of the backfield. There's a play against Texas this last year. Yeah, um, he just missed where, the throw. No, well, they, they, they called a penalty on this one, too. There, oh, there yeah, was another yeah. one. Yep, that's it. And that's so it, that's it. Yep. they, like, saw, like, Kendrick Van Zant plays that kind of hybrid backer safety position, the, the other linebacker. And he was up at the line like he was going to blitz. And Texas motioned, and nobody moved. And you see Sam Ellinger just start pointing. And he is, like, pointing. And then they snap the ball, and the running back who at that time I think was like Roshan Johnson, I remember, but he came out of the wheel and it was like hundred yard touchdown easily, except they got so excited about it. They committed a false start as they did it. And so that, that play is like the perfect example of like, it feels like the, the wheel route is something to exploit maybe just because when it does hit, it is kind of a big play. And, and so that's something that's hard. I will say this and I'm just, I'm racking my brain here and it will probably finish up and be like, Oh my God, this is what I thought. But I, how do I get in the weeds without getting in the weeds? So when TC runs their two deep zone coverages, okay, and I've actually stolen all this from them, and and I'm not talking out of turn. Everybody, anybody that watches them, that knows coverage, would figure this out. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not giving away anything. But what they tend to do is one of the problems with playing two deep zone coverage, or they they match it, but is the whole shot, right? Let's take one of the bit one of the plays in football that uh is pretty universal stick so the outside receiver is going to want to go the number two receiver is going to run the five yard option route the back's going to swing now most teams in america will say ah most yeah let's say most if you're playing two deep zone coverage would have the corner drive the back and the safety play over the top the problem is if number two also runs vertical You've got literally, if, if you don't carry the corner on verticals, you have a corner jumping a guy that's behind the line of scrimmage and you have a deep safety trying to cover two people, literally. Not a winning business model, okay? So what Gary tells the guys is in like two, two receivers, the corner's never affected by the back in two deep zone. And really, we tell our guys they're never affected from the backside of trips. So we'll say, hey, if there's a receiver and a back to the same side, trips away, We'll treat the back as a number two receiver. That's the only time. Okay. So what Gary does and what I do is our corner says, we're not, we don't worry about the running back. We will push the linebacker out. They'll exchange with the other linebacker. And then the corner, you stay on that vertical. So now you really have true two on two guys deep, even though you're playing cover two. And this is because cover two was not meant to play against two receivers. Cover two was invented to stop a single side receiver in two bags. And unless you change it, you try to play like 1994 rules in two deep zone, you're going to get filleted. Yeah. And, and so what Gary does is says, don't worry about the back. We'll handle the back with the overhang, the hybrid position, as you call them corner. You stay on one vertical. Now two goes out or two goes away, then you can squeeze the one. But if two goes out, then you'll come off. Now you've only got one guy deep, but don't worry about the back, which I think is the, obviously the smartest way to do it. However, one of the problems is it's hard to cover those linebackers. It's hard to cover those wheels. So if you get like double post with the wheel, 
and you're telling that corner to sink. Now you've created another whole shot like where there's, yeah. a, there's a huge void. But what's better, throwing an 18-yard three-step fade or a back at eight, eight yards? And, and, and so what I would say to the fans, now if you know it's coming, that's, you can trap the corner and you can do different things. Right. And you can play like, oh, don't get in the weeds, Vass. Uh, you can play <laughs> like what we call three clouds. So basically the corner would still play the back, but the safety will rotate to the third. So then the backside safety would play the middle third to help you with those routes. But again, you've got three on four deep, unless you're carrying somebody somewhere. I just, I mean, it's, it's, People say, oh, I don't understand this. So it's simply math. They got four guys deep. I want four guys deep. At least four. I'd like five. I'd love six, but we're at least going to match numbers. Teams are too good. It was hard 20 years ago. Now, forget it. You, it's Those teams that teach that, like, cover three, where, oh, we're going to split one and two. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not going to work anymore. I, I don't believe so. So be careful. It's one of those things, like, be careful what you wish for. Um. Because if you were to play those wheels better, you would be giving up bigger plays. I would say the other thing. Now, let me ask you this. When they're getting those wheels open, is it like on the backside of trips? Like where, where is it happening the most? I can help diagnose the problem. Yeah, so off the top of my head, which is very spotty, I'm envisioning three by one. The running back is on the one side and the running back is like flaring out, like, like the wheel coming from there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that the bat, so that's just man coverage. So yeah. what, and again, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm puffing my chest out and talking about all my TCU bona fides. I don't remember this happening enough to stick out my brain, but I may be full of that. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Obviously if it's been memed, it's happening. I'm not questioning that. I just don't yeah. remember it off the top of my head. Yeah. That's yeah. probably just a matchup thing where you, they play a coverage on the backside. Again, this is all public information called solid where the corner is going to play. The X receiver, the safety, they'll give him different directions on what to do. And then the backer is on that Mike linebacker. Or no, I'm sorry, because they yeah, they slide their backers. So we yeah, flip yeah. our we we would that's one more thing where we're different is we, we're like Bama, we'd flip our guy over where they're leaving their backer. Well, I've seen some of the backers. Please don't send me any hate mail. Again, I'm a fan. I'm a yeah, fan. Yeah. No, we're with you. I don't want anybody being like, yo, this guy's trash, but. I've seen some of the mics they've had and I've seen some of the backs in big 12. And even though I can't tell you that I remember any of these plays specifically, I'm going to guess if it's a meme and I'm thinking about the matchups. Yeah. That could be a problem. And yeah. And that, and that yeah. is a, that, that is a satisfying answer, at least to me. And this podcast is pretty much a, a personal vanity project. So I'm happy with that just to say like, okay, I can see an alignment issue that leaves a guy who probably shouldn't a hundred percent of the time be in that situation. But you saying Hey, it could be worse is also probably really, really enlightening and probably true about some of these dynamic big 12 offenses, because it does look like, Hey, you know, we're putting a cap on, on Lincoln Riley relatively to, to, you know, he, he could win 80 to nothing last year. And they only end up winning what, like 31 to 14 or something because TCU was able to contain some of that big playability. I'll say this. I think TCU has had the best plan to defend Oklahoma um and except for in 2018 he lost his mind and i think he may tell you that like they tried a bunch of stuff and it was just i think it was 18 it was it was not they they tried something and it didn't work it was the year i remember i, I turned on the game and i was like oh my god what has happened like i didn't recognize yeah. it either. i thought i thought lincoln was worried and had gary kidnapped <laughs> and i think he would, it, yeah. it, i think he would tell you that i'm not saying i mean the results are on the field i mean i think if you were to ask him hey 
do you would you want to do that again? The answer would be no, evidenced by the fact that he never tried it again. Yeah. Yeah. They played him pretty tough. I'm I think it's players. I don't think it's scheme. Lincoln Riley is a great coach. He's I his bona fides as an offensive. I said bona fides twice. What am I? Fancy boy. <laughs> Harry's a real fancy boy. No, but um nobody's questioning his acumen, but I don't like the whole counter trail. That's why I, I don't think TCU has a problem with counter as much as other teams because the way they defend it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I don't when I watch them, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I'm not like like Georgia when Georgia beat them in the Rose Bowl. TCU has way better plans than what Georgia did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Georgia also has, you, you know, better. Yeah. Go to Georgia, players. You yeah, go to yeah. Georgia's practice. It's like Jurassic Park. You know, the scene <laughs> when the guy first sees the dinosaurs and he's like climbing out of the car. That's what it's like. Georgia has the biggest humans I've ever seen. And I've been to Bama practice twice in the last three years. Like Georgia's guys, I dare I say, I don't know, it's maybe hyperbole, but dwarf the Alabama players, like they're, they're lying. And that's the biggest problem is it's a recruiting thing. And it's not, I mean, I, I sympathize. I think one of the other reasons I love TCU is TCU is a small private school in a big city. I went to Miami. Like people think Miami is this huge school. Even like, well, at the time when I was there, it was nine ninety five hundred undergrad. So like USC, the difference with USC is USC is in a terrible neighborhood, but like TCU and Miami are very close in terms of obviously there's not the religious aspect, but it's a small private school. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, not that they're like, everybody's taking religion at TCU, but Texas Christian university. Like, you got to take like, one semester. It's all on earth. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, so someone got a whole degree out of it, but uh, I got other degrees too. Uh, TCU is uh, affiliated with, but not governed by the disciples of Christ is the, uh, the official okay. line on when I gave tours. Um, okay. But yeah, no, the, the Miami thing is really pressing it too. Yeah, and and, and it is, it, and it's not for like lack of trying or some like error that TCU doesn't have five star athletes at every position. But like that's a that's a reality. And again, when you look back at, I mean, uh, like Vast, do you remember who was playing quarterback for TCU in 2018? Was that the Kenny kid number seven, Kenny Hill? Or no, what? no, Kenny Hill was the year before. Mike Collins, who was a pen transfer. Uh, who and ended up University of Penn, like the Quakers? Yeah, like Quakers, Quakers. like Ivy League. Oh, that's misery. Pa- well, Pat League, maybe, but no, I, so they're Ivy. They're Ivy. There, there's have, a talent disparity there. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about this off pod, we can. But I have, I have a whole theory of why recruiting with TCU, and I'll say this: Paul Gonzalez, who's one of my very good friends. I don't know if you heard the pod with him and I. I got him to talk about TCU on yeah. a public forum. You want to talk about score? And he was pretty open. Um, but I, I could I could tell you how to fix TCU very quickly, and I think they could too. I'll say this. Sometimes your biggest strengths, you can also be your worst uh, own worst enemy. I'll yeah, leave it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that off air. I don't want any hate. No, let the fair. reader understand. Yes. Um, uh, let's let's great. Uh, great. You go ahead. No, I coach. I, I have one more layman's question. Um, and Parker, I'll let you do the duty of our of our running bit on the show after okay. I ask this. But uh, I, I had I had one layman's question for you, if you don't mind. Um, a lot of times people talk about um, defenses being bend but don't break, right? And I, I know I I'm sure coaches probably hate that. But if you had to classify the four two five, would you classify it as a bend but don't break? Because sometimes I almost think it's a break but don't bend. 
Uh, and I just don't know how Gary sees it or how, how that scheme kind of, you know, fits into that spectrum. So I'm going to frame this question a little differently. Um, the 425 is a personnel structure. The 425 in and of itself. Well, this is so uh, let me back up. So when I was talking about playing the 44 versus the 425, and I told my stupid thing about when I booked concerts, which I don't even know if that fit the damn analogy, but I like it. So whatever, I'm going with it. I was informed. So back back when we played, when we started playing the 425 and made the switch from the 44, we literally didn't do anything. When I was running the 44, because I know one of the questions I want to ask is what became what what did you do before the 425? It was the 44. It was just a dumbed down version. I had a five foot two, 130 pound outside linebacker slash strong safety. And he was the best ever at setting the edge because nobody could out leverage him. Nobody could get underneath him. We used to tell him, you're not short. You're you have built in pad level. <laughs> and and that I liked. And then I coached a semi pro team and they had these big hulking guys with cage face masks, but they were slower. I'd rather have a fast dude. As long as he's fearless, it's not about size. It's about just like I have clips of 188 pound kid destroying 240 pound fullbacks. Like three, I, I showed this clip on it, did some consulting last night. He destroyed two lead blockers that were 240 and 260, spun out and tackled a 220 pound running back with one hand because he was crazy. It had nothing to do with like he was, we said he was jackass tough. What's the song in that? If you're going to be, if you're going to be, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Yeah, that's yep. him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he called him jackass stuff. So I wanted speed. I think it's so, so everything else before the 425 was just, it was just different types of players. Yeah. Um. So I don't think the 425, I think when you frame these questions, because you watched, um, I'm trying to think of a defense where guys see a lot of the guys play the same, but I, I could run a super aggressive 425. And I could run a super, you know, bend but don't break four two five. It's it's about what's called inside the structure. I know that Gary's blitzed a lot less, and and he said it on a clinic that he said once, or I, I might pa- paraphrase this, but as the checks gotten bigger, the cover zeros become less. You start to get uh, <laughs> or afraid. You know, when you're in the whack and you're playing New Mexico State. No offense to them, but that's different than playing Oklahoma. Yeah. No, and if you have a problem with that statement, you know, what did, what did Parker ask me about? He asked me about Oklahoma. <laughs> he was not yeah. asked me about playing other teams. And, and so I think, I don't think it has to do with the four, two, five. You think about what you call within, again, that's just a personnel structure. Three, three, yeah. five, everybody in football right now is three, three, five or four, two, five. That's it. There's no Bam is three, four. No, they're not. They, they may start out day one in that, but they're most of the time they're playing four, two, five. And really, they're hybrid Jack player. What do you want to call him? Now, technically, he's recruited as an outside backer. So you'd say, oh, they're three, three, five. But to me, that's confusing because now you're lumping an edge rusher with an inside linebacker. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think of those guys as DNs. But really, I mean, name me every every defense in football right now. Good defense is four, two, five or three, three, five. And really, it all depends on what you call that guy. Well, and you think about like Aranda at uh, and I might say something dumb here to correct me, but like. He's four two five. That that guy, the Jack or whatever he calls it, is like that. That, that is a defensive end for all intents and purposes. That can just do a lot of things. Every um, and so Aben Kirby Smart, yeah, Snatty did some really interesting things last year. Super fascinated by them. Um, but they're a they're they're a little different. But pretty much every top ten defense is four two five or three three five. Like Manny Diaz runs a four two five, 
couldn't be different from Gary Patterson. They're going to play true spot dropping zone. And then they're going to blitz six people and play his eyes. Like Brent Venables is a great example. He's four, two, five, but he's insane because he's better than everybody. So they can blitz and make up for it in the back end. That's why I think they tend to struggle defensively. Now I know that two years ago they killed Bama. I was there, but I think that's why they struggle when they have to play it straight when they have to play really good teams. But I think that Gary, from what I know and what I've seen, I've followed him since 2008 religiously. He's obviously stopped running cover zero, but so is everybody. Yeah. There's nobody that's still hanging on that train. Minus like that one game where Bud Foster beat Ohio state and played like bear cover zero that and like surprised urban Meyer, but nobody's playing cover zero anymore. Where Gary, I think Gary, and where maybe your point is, is Gary is big on matching patterns. And so you watch in the NFL, a lot of teams don't run quarters uh, in the stuff that Gary does because you can match a guy, but all you're saying is I'm playing. I mean, if you look at it, let's peel it back another layer. Quarters coverage. I, I went many years ago. Um, I was watching Justin Wilcox, the head coach at Cal, was a DC at Boise State when they were in their heyday. Um, and he said, somebody asked, Hey, do you like quarters on third down? He says, No, it's four across man with a four man pass rush. And I went, What? Like, but it's true. It broke my bubble. And I talked about this when I talked about the new Texas DC, Pete Kwiatkowski. We talked about, like, I had this epiphany that, like, cover quarters against four verts or four deep routes is cover zero, but you're only bringing four guys. Yeah. So Gary protects himself more. Like when I was watching Tampa or when I was watching TCU on third down, they're running a lot of Tampa 10 years ago, Tampa two. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. They, they tend to clamp down on routes more. Well, the problem is, and why, if you look at the NFL, you can match Michael Thomas all day, but if he wins the one-on-one, that's, it almost comes like full circle. There's an old defensive coordinator saying, I don't know where it came from. It's been around forever. Rush four. If you can't get pressure with four, rush five. If you can't get pressure with five, rush six. If you can't get pressure with six, rush three. And that's where a lot of teams have gone. Gary is still trying to match patterns. I mean, they don't play. Their Tampa two defense was the was really their true. I know because I ran the same system. It was the only time they were in true zone, and I haven't seen them do it as much as they used to. So he clamps routes. Now, the problem is, if I'm playing tight to somebody, they can beat me and I win the matchup. They also get less turnovers than a lot of teams because they're looking at men. They're not looking at the ball. Now, completion percentages are lower. Yeah. So, again, it's the trade-offs. I've, most people, thank God I've coached for, I think this reason I, I got the job was they liked my philosophy, which is if they don't catch the ball, we win. Like, it's not – rather than like the Manny Diaz philosophy, which is we're going to let him catch – more passes, but we're going to get more picks and more turnovers. And, and I think offenses have gotten so good that maybe that is the way to go because it's like, Hey, they're going to catch the ball anyway. Right. They've gotten so good at throwing the ball. Even if we're real tight on, they're going to catch it. So we might as well do the version where at least we can get steal some possessions and get some points. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. So no, that's, that's the really... that question, but I don't think the structure of the defense matters. Yeah. No, and, and, and that is, um, I will say like, that in itself is informative because I think TCU fans talk about the 45-45 all the time, and it's, it, that's not the defense. Those are the players in the defense. Here, here, here's, here's a piece for you. Greg Williams and Monty Kiffin both ran the 
Those are very different. Yeah. Dave Phillips and Rex Ryan both ran the three four. Two complete. It's the same, same personnel. Even guys in the same family. Like here's an interesting thing. Like let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens tree. Let's go back to Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis, Mike Nolan, Rex Ryan, Greg Madison, Dean Pease, Wink Martindale. Plus, send the offshoots that Brandon Staley working for Vic Fangio, who was also there. I don't know if you get any more different than a guy like Brandon Staley and Rex Ryan, but they're from the same tree and, and maybe they're a little far removed. But, you know, Mike, even Rex and Mike Pettin, Mike Pettin, who's the was the D.C. of the Packers and was the head coach of the Browns, whatever. They were like this. Rex gave Pettin a start. And when they got, when they split, Pettin was like, you know, cover zero. Where Rex is like, I don't care. Also, Rex, I mean, it's kind of ironic I'm saying this because Rex has been out of football and Mike hasn't. But, you know, when you, when your last name's Ryan, you have a little bit more job security. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is not totally true, but I don't think it's because of the lack of, of offers. But that's what I mean by that. If those guys run the same calls, Dean Pease. So I'm friends. I've got to know Dean Pease's son, Matt. He's taught me a lot of the defense. They use the same terms, I think, as they did when he was with the Ravens. He went with, so so Dean Pease went with he was with Belichick, who is pretty conservative, um, in when all things considered. Then he goes to the Ravens, which is probably the most aggressive defense there. He's still using the Ravens terminology, but he's Dean Pease's whole thing is how can we bring pressure and play Tampa too? That's like his whole thing. You watch Wink Martindale who coached with Dean, who uses the same language. And he's like blitzing from everywhere. Yeah. So if that frames it, if that helps. They're still the same personnel. They're called the same things. And I think Dean's tweaked some things because Baltimore was pretty much like, you need to call it this. They were very like Saban-esque in the NFL. Like we have this really great pedigree of defensive coaches. And I know you guys aren't tuned in. You're hearing me talk about the other, the purple NFL team, but it, it informs that question. I don't know yeah. if that helps or makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. And it is, and it is weird. Cause I think that so many people who are TCU fans kind of have this perspective of, Hey, here's this weird defense that TCU plays. Cause Gary Patterson runs a weird defense and kind of has influenced the modern game and Hey, it's, it's the four, two, five. So, so that's the defense, but, uh, and it's kind of like surface level, but, but that is really, really rich. Um, okay. That's we're, we're coming up on an hour. Um, and so this is, I have like a million more questions that I would ask. I'm good. I don't know how the show works, but I'm good for another half hour. If you want to talk. Um, I, yeah. So, so I think we just have a couple, um, let's get to the, uh, let's get to like the, the, the Patterson defense for idiots kind of segment. And let's do one or one or two more questions that are just super low level. Like, Hey, I don't, I don't know what quarters is, uh, for, for that person. So, um, and so let's just go bigger. Um, and, and kind of talk about in Gary Patterson's specific defense, um, what are kind of his, his goals? And you hinted at this a little bit versus, Hey, don't, don't give up the big play versus the Manny Diaz kind of catch short and, and all that. Um, I've heard Patterson say in, in, you know, in, in clinics and in, and in big 12 media days, like about stopping the run. Um, what are kind of some of his core tenets that you're going to see kind of manifest on the field in the way that he's calling this defense? Uh, well, full disclosure, I always get this one wrong. In fact, when I had Paul on the pod, which I'm going to give myself a shameless plug. If you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I, I can hear the TCU safeties, former corners coach talk about how they play in the secondary. Uh, I had him on, well, I interviewed him January 6th, but I don't think it was released till February or March. Um, 
he talks all about their package and stuff. If you're like, oh, I, I you know, have a little bit more understanding of it and whatnot. And um, I always get this wrong. I think Gary's whole thing was, we're going to take, a, I always bust this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to bust this. Totally give my best shot. It's, we're going to take away the deep throws. We're going to um, take away the short throws. And then we're going to force you to throw intermediate and sit on those routes. And I, I'm going to get technical to prove a, bit, a, a bigger point. So when Gary Patterson, most DB coaches, when they teach corners and they're playing off a guy, right? They want to stay. It's called a cushion, the distance between you and the receiver. Now, I don't know how much this is taught now, but this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago until like the beginning of football. Yeah. Most coaches would say, keep your cushion, keep your cushion. And, you know, you're taking away inside or outside. Because if, if you line up head up on somebody, they can go either way. So you're going to take away a side. That's when you hear the word leverage. That's what that means. I'm going to play inside leverage means I'm going to take away the inside. Most coaches keep your cushion, keep your cushion, keep your cushion, whatever. Gary is the only guy I ever heard that says, we want you to eat up our cushion. And most people be like, oh, why? Like, that's like against everything that they're told. And it's because now I can play tight to you. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to sit on things and clamp on things. Yeah. And that is the, the philosophy of how they play. It really comes down to they want to match patterns. They want to be good in the run game, take away the run game. Now, again, that's a lot of that's had to change because Gary's whole thing before is uh, we wanted what they call an overhang to each side. We want a guy off each edge. Both backers are going to play inside out. We're going to spill everything to the old strong and weak safety, like picture them against two backs. Yeah. And that's what made me chuckle about when people said the four, two, five is not a good run defense. It's like, we've plugged up every inside gap and we're forcing the ball outside to our fastest players. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and also in the old Gary defense, their big thing was stopping the run was they played a coverage called robber coverage, which for those of you who know, like understand scheme, Imagine cover three, but the safety's like sitting at 10 yards, like ready to fall off a cliff. And then he sees the tight end block. And that's why if you look at a lot of the tackling stats back 10, 15 years ago, the free safety was one of their top. It should be two number two and three in tackles. And most people like, ha ha, if your safety is your leading tackler, you're in a lot of problems. Well, not really. Actually means the defense is working. And so that's where he was sit on routes. Um, basically clamp on that's the best way i can like yeah, everything yeah. expands and then boom he locks on you rather than play a ton i mean they play they play more man now than they did before but before rpos they weren't a big man team they used to run this uh two deep zone coverage with man principles underneath and bring the nickel that, that was their number one call it was our number one call yeah i did and if anybody's interested this is totally free if you go to coachtube.com and you want to learn about this stuff um I, if you just type in wide stinger, just stinger, just type in stinger. It should come up. I have a free course I, on their number one pressure. That was our number one pressure. And I go through the whole thing if you're interested. So awesome. we'll, we'll link that. We'll, we'll link that in the, in the show notes. Um, again, it's was, free. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's whatever, but it, it really goes into that stuff. Well, they had to stop doing that. So they're playing more man. So, so let me say this. If you're really following their defense, they're playing more man than they used to straight man. And it's again for division of labor because before it was, I got him. If he goes out, you got him. If he goes in 
And now the problem, and then I'm going to play the run and you do this. Well, now the problem is he's going out and they're running the ball. Yeah. Again, that's why they're playing so much, man. It's not a philosophy shift. Like we're going to play tighter coverage or we're going to, we're going to force the issue or what? No, it's, it's you cover that guy. I'll go play the run rather than both of us do each both. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really where he's at philosophically. Um, They bring a lot of edge pressure. They don't blitz a lot inside. Uh, you only got two linebackers, so you don't want to lose them. And that's pretty universal. Um, you'll notice the hybrid guy comes off the edge a lot. So he wants to he wants to force edges, which is why he played a strong safety outside. So he basically wants to put a net around the defense, if yeah. that makes sense. And, and, and so I don't that, know if that, that puts some pressure. Question. That puts some pressure on a couple of groups, right? So the last year, for instance, TCU's defensive line play was not very good. It was probably was uh, Grant backed me up on this. It was probably the worst that TC's defensive line has been since I've been following them. Yeah, um, certainly since certainly since I've been following them, players didn't really develop the way they meant to. And I think, um, yeah, it, it was not good. Um, and so they had a lot of situations where you saw linebackers and safeties uh, it, it, instead of, Hey, I'm fitting the hole and I'm going to make a tackle. They're saying like, Oh, we got completely blown out uh, up in the middle and that's kind of changed equilibrium. And so in, in kind of stopping the run and kind of doing these, uh, you know, more man situations, defensive line play becomes that much more important, right? Uh, if you're talking about how we're going to attack, is there kind of a linchpin to this Patterson defense? And is, is the defensive line it? Or is it more on the safeties who are, one, making the calls, you know, he calls them the quarterbacks. What, what's kind of the most important position? Like, hey, everything hinges on this, this happening, right? I don't think there is one. I think that the line, I, and one thing that we didn't talk about that because we've been so talking about the front or the, the back end and the flexibility, Gary Patterson slants his front four out of an even front, meaning they're lining up outside or inside of a man, not head up more than anybody I've ever seen. And we, we, of course we did. I, when I first put in the defense, uh, I wanted to make it my own. Cause that's what they always say. Like, Oh, make it your own. Well, I started taking shortcuts that I, cause I didn't understand what I didn't understand. And I tried to make some shortcuts and it, it cost me. So I used to joke around and I hope this is not taking any offense religiously, but we, I used to say we were going to put a WWGPD. What would Gary Patterson do? <laughs> this guy's really smart. He's been doing this for a long time. He's insanely detailed. I'm just going to follow what he does. And so we just like, what does he do versus 21 personnel, two backs and tight. And this is what I'm going to do. And one of those things was slanting the front. Now, I this is not meaning to be disparaging to Zarnell or whoever's working with the D-line now, but I've noticed since Bumpus left, and I know he hangs around and does some things. He was, he's what nobody talked about. If you go back and watch that 2014 defense, it's unbelievable. I still like we taught I when I put in last year, when I put in our defense, I was showing clips versus Ole Miss in that bowl game because it's still the best I'd ever seen him play. In the modern era, like if you go back and watch 08 and 09, they're killing people, but they're not playing. You know, I really look right. at defense like before 2014 and after 2014, and it's kind of loose, like 13, 12 yeah. is in there. But I think the line, here's the thing about, and TCU also does something that nobody else does. And I don't know if they do this anymore, but bump had those guys getting their nose in the gap and flying upfield, even against air force when they're like running midline and reading them. I don't know if they're doing that as much anymore. And so, why I love TCU's defense, and I could write a whole thesis off of this, but one of the things was they were an underdog defense. 
Yeah. They were built for the other team to be better. And Gary's kind of an underdog guy. I mean, his favorite song is I Won't Back Down. <laughs> Do you think that Nick Saban is telling people that? No. I mean, that's a very chip. That's a, a guy with a chip on their shoulder. Exactly. That's exactly. You know, um, and the problem I had was we would slay in our front too much. I got into a game. We're playing a team and we're slanting and they're gashing us. And then all of a sudden I went, wait, we're better than these guys. And we stopped slanting and played, like I said, F you run the ball up the middle. Cause we will crush you. And we did. And we shut them out in the second half. Um, so TCU, your linemen, especially the inside guys, they either got to be good and strong or they got to be quick. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when they're quick, better, like if they're both fantastic, but I'm saying like, you know, if it's one or the other, I think what's happened is with some of the spread style schemes and how people have changed their run game subtly, I think the slanting kind of hurts mm-hmm. and I've watched them slant out of stuff. And, and, and it, again, everything, it's a cost benefits analysis, like right. what's going to hurt us, what's going to be good. But I think everybody knows, I will say one thing about TCU and what they do is they don't come out and surprise you. And when they do like the Oklahoma game, it's not great. Um, yeah. they don't, I've never seen them be like, wow, it's always something I've seen before. Right. And so teams have started to figure out and Gary, I'm, what Gary does better than anybody in the world is he drills down what a team does and they play plays. So that's what he says. If you want to beat TCU, if you can execute 60 new plays in a game, you will beat them because they are so geared up to stop these certain plays, which is how you should teach defense. Right. But that's what, and that's what we struggle with. And we went to passing leagues all summer because we'd have these long calls that were like tailored towards what they were going to do. And then we saw something we didn't know. And that's where you'll see, I guarantee I I'll put money on this. If you go back and you watch, the top, like every pass over 20 yards or whatever. And let's just, just the guy beats another guy, a scheme play where a wheel or something like that. It's because it was something new because okay. focus is so hard on what they do that sometimes if you pop something new on them, it's like the kids, because they don't have basic rules. Like he tells the kids when he puts the stuff in, here's the rules. But, and I used to hear this when I was at Millsaps and I used to roll my eyes. And then I understood it was, we're going to teach you rules so you know which ones to break every week. Mm-hmm. So here's how we're going to, this is like, you got to start somewhere, but this is how this may change. And then sometimes they use it against them. So offenses are, are constantly innovated to try to beat the 4-2-5. Patterson's loathe to try new things that we saw against Oklahoma in 2018, as you mentioned. But in your opinion, kind of what is the next big, frontier or innovation for the 425 defense the next big adjustment to catch up to i had to i hate to use this term but modern offenses or whatever you know uh, the, the hot new coaches are doing um i think i think and and i want to clarify something i said last time before i start like it's not that they don't do anything new like they'll their tweaks are they're tweaking stuff. And I think that's good. That's what good offense is. Like you watch the Green Bay Packers are the best NFL offense. They didn't do a lot of new concepts every week. They just tweaked the ones they had. Because if you're having to put new stuff in, it's usually not going to work. But if that everybody say, well, how's the best way to beat TCU? And I tell them, run new stuff. But anyway, so to answer your question now, 
I think you've already seen it. If, and, and I don't mean to be a jerk, but if I knew what the next answer was going to be, I would be rich as hell. You wouldn't be talking to two randos on a podcast on a I'd Wednesday night. Talk guys. <laughs> I'd still talk to you guys. We're talking TCU, man. It's great. Um, I'll say it's already started, which is to play more one high coverages, meaning, and it, it sucks because now you have to tie one thing I kicked off the podcast with that made the defense special is it was flexible, right? Now you have to make it, even if you're going to make a defense that's static and that all works together, I still tell guys on the front end, give you the flexibility because it's easier to put things back together because our kids don't know. Like our kids aren't like, oh, this calls a full field call. We're all working together. Like nobody knows that stuff. Um, so teach the flexibility. Um, but have the ability to put it all back together. So I think you're seeing more of that stuff, playing one high coverages, playing cover three, playing odd fronts where, and they've done, you know, it's funny. I went and studied from uh, ULL because the one thing, the one disadvantage of running TC's defenses, again, like I said early on, they're the only ones to do it. They're the only ones and they're very secretive and it's hard to get in. And, so I got like, at one point I'm like, if I'm going to innovate, I can't rely on this place. that doesn't let anybody in. Like there was one year they yeah. can't do a bunch of visits because some Yahoo took his phone out and started filming during the first practice. So I ended up going and studying. I'm like, well, if I'm going to study something else, I'm going to study the saving stuff. Yeah. And so I learned some of the concepts like, Oh, I'm putting this in. Oh, this is brilliant. And then I got back and went, wait, Gary was doing this five years ago. It was just a little different. He did it a little differently. So I think it's stuff like, you're seeing more three down you're seeing. And, and I've seen that watching them playing there. I mean, let's be honest, who was doing three high safeties first. It wasn't Iowa state. Gary was doing that stuff back 2014. Um, so you're seeing it. I think that there are some innovations out there that I think if I were him, I would do one of them is put in some of the match three stuff um that he's loath to do which i get because i was kicking and screaming but then when i saw every smart defensive coach in america doing it i was like okay um so i think there could be some merit to that like i think when they place i don't want to get i don't answer this without getting too far in the weeds when they're playing a team that runs one tight end one back sets three wides and they're balanced um like two uh, tight end receiver to the boundary two receivers to the field I think that's one formation for my money that I know. And I say when they, I'm also saying myself. Yeah. So I don't want anybody to think I'm crapping on them. Like these are, it, not only is this like a philosophical thing of like, oh, this is what I think they struggle with. This is what I struggle with because I run this defense was some of the answers to defend certain formations used to be really good and they're not good anymore because of how offenses have evolved. So I think, if he fully wrapped his arms around playing some three deep stuff, still using his, we're not just going to drop to a spot and stare at the quarterback. I think it could really help them. Um, and they've already started doing a lot of it. So I don't know. I Maybe do it better. I think, honestly, I think their offense needs to get its life together. I think that will help the defense out. And I'm, and I mean that that's their, when I watch them, oh, yeah. yeah. when yeah. I watch them, even if it's just to control the clock, like, Maybe this is reductionist and old school, but you want to keep Oklahoma's offense off the field, keep the ball. The delegate from the Democratic People's Republic of Parker has no response to the arguments about closing the uh, about controlling the clock. Uh, we'll have to do the we'll have to do the clock control. I think there's there's actually a lot of wisdom in that. Um, but that, like that's that's true of like 
if your offense is getting, you know, three and out every time and you're not getting points, you're going to lose to Oklahoma. 2020, that literally happened. Oklahoma went scoreless basically in the middle two quarters and TCU did nothing. And they ended up losing the game by three scores because you got you to be able to keep up. So, um, okay, Coach, uh, Coach this, was, this was awesome. And this was a great uh, just kind of, hey, let's, let's ask some questions that have been burning and some good insight. If people want to dive in deeper to defense, they want to dive in deeper to football, they want to follow your stuff, where can they find you online? Well, the number one place I'm at is Twitter, at Coach Vass. That's at Coach V as in Victor, A-S-S. I have two podcasts. One's called Make Defense Great Again. The name is Satire. Please don't send me any hate mail. <laughs> that Twitter account is at MDGA Podcast. I also started a communist offensive podcast called at Run Vass Option. Um, and then from there, because I, I could give out, because I do YouTube series, most a lot of NFL focus. But no, there's there's a lot of college stuff on there. I have coach tube courses. I mean, I don't know if you, if you have any coaches listening, this is not for people that are, it's specifically geared towards teaching it to people. It's not like, Hey, if you want to learn the defense, but basically I'll tell you this, instead of giving you a million different links, if you go to my Twitter at coach fast, by the way, I should work for these guys link tree. If you guys have different have you do you have a link tree? I've seen them, but I haven't, I don't have one all time. I get to the end of my pod. I used to do like the out, like, so the intro of my pod, I'll do like, I'll t- explain everything. When I get to the end, I used to be like, if you want to go to my YouTube, go here. If you want to go to the, it just has all your links sitting right there. Ah, nice. And you just click it. It's, it. So if, if you're, if you listen to this and you don't think I'm full of crap or you just want to talk about TCU, or if you have any questions, if there's something I said you didn't understand or something you want to challenge me on or whatever, find me at coach Vass. Uh, and then if you want to explore my YouTube channel, there's some beginner stuff. There's some more intermediate. There's a, the, all that YouTube. I have a Patreon where there's, we do film. We have, I actually have a TCU defensive thing up there. I think where I like talk about the four, two, five, like a primer to the four, two, five. Oh yeah. I did a Q and a where I just, yeah. I was just like, yeah. what questions do you have about four, two, five? Okay. Here's real life advertising for that because I wasn't live on that, but I watched it later and you were talking about the frog stance of the defensive end. And mm-hmm. I literally went and watched in TCU and playing horizontally. And I saw a play where they screwed it up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never in a thousand years would have seen this on my own. Like I could have watched football for years and never known this. So t- a yeah. ton of great stuff there. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll link, uh, we'll link uh, Twitter and, and link tree in the, in the show notes. So people can it's, find you. And you just go to the Twitter uh, page and on the bio, the link trees there. I'm sorry. Perfect. I think that second part of it in there. <laughs> no, perfect. That's great. So, so we'll make sure people can find you because you are um, truly uh, a, a fount of knowledge. Um, and this has been enlightening on so many levels. Uh, make sure you catch Vass's episode with Paul Gonzalez. He also very, you, you didn't, you didn't flex on this. You talked to Dean Pease. Um, uh, you mentioned Dean Pease earlier, but you got him on the podcast live and in person. And so uh, just a lot of really good episodes there. Um, I was impressed with Paul telling me that uh, if he, I would be like, I, yes, Dean Pease was awesome. I love Dean Pease. I've got to know his son. But like one of my proudest moments podcasting was when I had Paul on and he said, because uh, can I can I tell like a 30 second story? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're, um, we're so Paul came. So I went to Paul's house. And the, where we argued about Chris Bosch instead of talking about defense. And I was like self-flagellating it. Like when I went to sleep, I was like hitting myself. Like, what am I doing? But I had a bad knee and he goes, man, you got to get that, that taken care of. Uh, so you can walk around so I can hire you one day. And I was like, even though I knew he was being nice, I was like, Oh my God. Well, I retold that story 
on there and uh, on the pod. And he said, well, I, I was, I was serious. You'd be like my game plan guy. Like you'd be the guy I'd call and be like, what do you think about this? And I was just like, oh my God, my heart. It was like a woman seeing like a bunch of puppies playing. I was just like, Oh, Paul, tell me more. But yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that to me was cooler than, I mean, not to, again, I love DP. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's some fun. We had a crazy run at the beginning of the year. We had Paul, the new DC at Notre Dame, the new DC at Texas. Just like right yeah. now. Anyway. So, so tons of, I'm sorry. Tons of stuff when there. I talk about TCU, so, so just for context and why I'm like, I can go for five more hours. Usually when I do this, I'm hired to talk about TCU or talk about, it's usually a minimum four hours. So like, I'm just like, getting warmed up and you guys are like no we are we gotta go man you gotta shut up so i think our i think I'm my sorry. uh my market research has shown that uh our audience gets a little glossy eyed after about uh, at about an hour and a half so what we'll do is say this has been a great episode this has been so informative there are so many things left to learn about tcu's defense and defense in general and if you want to learn more about the game of football if you want to watch football better make sure you find bass on twitter we will link him in the bio um as always i'm uh, i'm stats of war on twitter that's grant mcgalliard spells like it sound with all of those vowels and uh, we will talk to all of you next week. Good